did an outstanding job. And our text is Jude, the eighth chapter. <laughs> uh, Jude, the book of Jude. Just start at the very beginning of the book of Jude. You'll be right there, okay? All right, verses 1 through 7 of Jude. But um, uh, Brother Josh asked me a question. It might have come up in your mind. And he says, is, that, is this because of radio and the Internet that we have to do this? And the, question, and the answer is no. Uh, if we just had straight wire, which for the sound room would be the easiest thing if a preacher stands right here and stays behind the microphone. Okay, that would be the easiest thing for them to do. And and that would be great. So it's not for radio and internet. It's for in the church auditorium. So when you have a group up here singing and they're holding microphones or you've, we have the 30-second testimony, they're going around the microphones, that's what that does, okay? And so it's really for in church. That's why we say it affects churches all across America if they use a wireless mic of any kind. And that's that's how it affects them, so... Uh, that's just the way things are. And <clears throat> I also been getting some text and things today about my age. My granddaughter said in a text, Happy birthday, Grandpa. You don't look a day over 85. I texted her back and I said, Well, thank you, because I'm 828 months old today. And so... Uh, I've been waiting for her response, but she did not respond to that one. But uh, 828 months old. I don't know if that sounds bad or not, okay? <laughs> but it's scary. All right. Uh, our text, though, is June, uh, June, Jude. I was thinking on this in June, okay? Jude, verses 1 through 7. This is where we are. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness into the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now shall we pray. Father, <clears throat> I ask that you'd help make this clear, understandable for everyone. And that takes thy Holy Spirit, not me. I just want to preach your word as it is to men as they are. So, Father, I pray for the clarity of thy spirit in everyone's heart tonight, whether they're in this auditorium or listening by way of radio or internet, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, I first time I taught through the book of Jude was on Wednesday nights here at Central Baptist Church. And I really got into the uh, word studies, the technical language, and more of an in-depth study that you'd probably read more in a commentary that was more of a college commentary, okay? I went through that, taking the time and so forth to do it. Then, oh, I'd say about 10 years ago or more, I think it is more now that I think about it, but 12, 13 years ago, I preached through it on Sundays, 
looking at the prophetic things of it, and especially as it dealt with the local church and seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes as it pertains to the local church. And there were some hard things in that. I, I admit that. I know there were because I was preaching the book as it is to men as they are. Now, each time I've gone through the book of Jude, I end up having people leave the church saying, that is so hard and unloving. Now, uh, so when God lays something on your heart, after you've already had an experience, you're a little bit afraid to, to go forward with it. So about two months ago, God was showing me these first seven verses. I'm not going to go through the book again, but these first seven verses, he's just showing me some things in there. And of course, I'm the kind, are you sure? You know, and uh, that's basically uh, where I've come to now. And so I'm preaching it to you now. Uh, but what I want you to understand is, is that uh, I don't apologize for preaching it. Okay, I'm not going to apologize for it at all. Truth is truth, and ours is to stand with the truth, not against the truth. And yet, God just gave me some things that were different than the first two times. You know, each time it's been different. God, not, not different truth. All truth is right, okay? God doesn't change His truth, but God showed me some other things each time. And so I believe that the Lord's just given me some things here. And I've got five points that I hope to share with you tonight and get through on this message. Well, the first thing I want you to see, though, is the position. Verse 1 said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, at the outside, uh, at the outset, should I say, we're getting to the basis on which Jude is being written. When we take a stand, we must begin with the Word of God because that's where our stand is based. That's the foundation. But we also need to understand that when we take a stand, the world will oppose us. And things will begin to happen. Book of Jude seems to look more at things happening in the last days with the local church. Although there are other things that are going on. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 kind of goes hand in hand with the book of Jude. So as we look at those things, we, we see him, he's starting out here, and he talks about first Jude, says he identifies himself as the brother of James. And he said, now why would he say the brother of James? But he also says that he is the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, there's a reason for that. He and James are full brothers, but both of them were born to Mary after Jesus was born to Mary. So they're half-brothers to Jesus in that sense. He's not wanting to say, hey, look at me, I'm the half-brother of Jesus Christ. No, he's trying to point out, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of the Lord. And so he's pointing that out and then saying, hey, look, here we are. We're, we're, we're brothers and we are standing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're viewing him more than a half-brother. They're viewing him as their God and Savior. And I think that is much greater. So Jesus Christ became the God-man. And yet, he often referred to himself as the Son of Man, uh, emphasizing the, the humanity of himself. And he took the position of humanity. He wanted to emphasize that to man so that he would understand that he, was, that he God, became a man that he might pay our sin debt. For the wages of sin is death, wherefore it's by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so Jesus had to become a man, be virgin born, so he would not inherit the man's sin nature, and yet live fully tempted in this life, and never sin one time, that he might be an acceptable sacrifice. If you read through the book of Malachi, one of the things that you'll find in the book of Malachi is, is that uh, God was upset because they were offering lambs as the law required 
but some of them were scarred and lame things that he says, hey, if you offered that to your master, if you were work, you were a servant, you fixed one of the sickly lambs for him to eat, would he really be pleased with that? But that's the way you're trying to worship God. So the sacrifice for our sins had to be a perfect sacrifice. And only Jesus Christ would fit that bill. And so although he created all things, yet we find out in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 that he obtained the keys of hell and of death in his humanity. It was already his in his deity, but in his humanity he obtained the keys of hell and death. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. So that was the only way that that could happen. And so he provided the way for salvation. So we are now, as a result of that, joint heirs, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And, and you've heard me say this before, but I don't get tired of saying it. I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. But Jesus Christ, his sacrifice was not just to become a man, and to die on a cross for our sins. But God is a spirit. He existed throughout eternity past as a spirit. But in his humanity. Now he was always the son of God. Even in spirit he was the son of God. But when he took on humanity. He also became the son of man. But he would maintain that humanity because our inheritance were joint heirs with him. And as a joint heir with Jesus, as long as he has a human body, we enjoy that inheritance. Therefore, he's got a body forever. Therefore, our inheritance is forever. Think of that. What a blessing. But what a sacrifice on the part of Jesus Christ. The things that are created were made by things not seen. The greater thing is not the, the body. The greater thing is the spirit. And that's the image that we were made in. It was the spirit of God, his image. That was the image that we're made in. We are spirits with a soul and a body. Not vice versa. A body with a soul and a spirit. And so, we read in 1 John chapter 3 as we read this morning. Behold, what matter of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Man, that is a great honor. That some old filthy sinners myself could be called the son of God. Wow. And rightly called the son of God because he cleanses with his blood. What a great blessing that is. But don't miss the entire Trinity is interested in our salvation and in our life. He says in verse 1, we're sanctified by God the Father. That is, we're set apart for Him and His holiness. When you got saved, that began a work in your heart and life. And God wants to work in a way that you be progress you might say, in holiness. The closer you get to God, the less of the world, the more of Him. Okay? And so, uh, we're sanctified by God the Father, set apart for Him and His holiness. We're preserved in Jesus Christ. You see, we are, when we appear before Him, we are accepted in the beloved, Jesus Christ. God gave His only begotten Son. His beloved Son He gave for us. We are accepted in the beloved. And we are called by the Holy Spirit of God. So what I'm trying to show you is that the Trinity is active in our life every day. Think of that. The very Trinity of God active in us that are saved. So after seeing the, possession, uh, the position, we next want to see the presentation of the panorama view. You might say the panorama in view. You see why we need to see our position first before we get the panorama view. That word panorama is defined as an unbroken view 
of the whole region surrounding the observer. I believe that in the case in the book of Jude, we're looking at the church age. So after telling us our assured position in Jesus Christ, he's giving us three things that every Christian needs in verses 2 and 3. Again, we see mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Mercy. (coughs) Excuse me. We needed mercy. We needed mercy in order to be saved. Without mercy, we could not be saved. Without grace, we could not be saved. But in mercy, he saved us. Titus 3, 5 says, but according to his mercy. We're saved. But now we live the Christian life in a place in which the whole world, 1 John 5, 19, lives in wickedness. And if this whole world is in wickedness, then we need mercy to live this life in such a place. And so he has set us apart, sanctified us, to equip us, that we might, in this temporal life, live in holy righteousness according to his will until we enter that abode. But we all fail, and so therefore we all need mercy even after our salvation. The next thing is his peace. If we get our eyes on men, even good men, they'll let us down. We will let each other down. We will let ourselves down. So the key, if you want the peace of God, keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, His Word, His will, His way, His time. Okay? Do God's will, God's way. So the Trinity is at work for you. You simply trust Him. And it's another reason He has preserved the Word of God as a lamp unto our feet to show us ourselves, and the light to our path, to show us the way that we ought to walk in this world. He just didn't tell us, okay, now you, you live a wholly separated life. He told us, follow the word of God. It's, it's provided, it's a lamp, it's going to show you yourself, and it's a, it's a light to show you the pathway. Follow the word of God, that requires us to be in the word of God, to meditate in the word of God, and to think on it daily, to think on it often. And that's the reason he has preserved his word. Don't forget his promise in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's always with us. When you become his, he's there with you all the way. So what are we to do? We're to keep on keeping on. Keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You just keep on going. You keep pressing toward that. And you be what God wants you to be. Amen? A woman too. Okay. Now, the other thing is love. Love the Lord your God. Love Him with all your heart, your soul, your body, and your mind. That is the greatest commandment. But if you're going to love Him that way, you're going to seek to live a life that's holy and acceptable unto God. You can't live a life, you can't, you can't love Him with your all and let your soul and spirit be in the things of this world. So, again, he loves us, and that's why he chastens us, that we might not walk into those things. So, let the Holy Ghost speak to you each and every day of your life until his voice becomes as familiar in your heart as your spouse's voice is in your ear. I was reading this years ago. I was reading of parents at Little League baseball games. And when there's a big crowd and everybody's yelling and screaming, they say, for some reason or another, that little one can hear his daddy's voice 
even with all those other voices, he distinguishes that voice and he listens. And in this world of noise, of all the things this world has to throw, listen to the voice of God. It'll be clear. Get to know your father so well that his voice is so familiar to your heart. Now, you'll notice that he asks uh, these three things uh, be multiplied unto you. So it's very important to keep the knowledge of your close standing with the Trinity in verse 1. It's important to do that because it's going to help you to have victory in this life. These things where he mentions it here of, of mercy, peace, and love. Those are things that are fruit of the Spirit. Those are things that are, will help you to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. Those are things that will strengthen you. They're holy fruits that strengthen and it keeps the panorama of your life's daily view. So in verse 3, he says what he really wanted to do. He said, uh, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to write about the common salvation. That is so special. But why would he want to write about that? Well, having these things in your heart sustains us. When you're going through the hard days of the last days, when the world is attacking, you see that true with Paul and Silas. Man, these guys have just been beaten with a whip. They're bleeding. Their, their legs are in stocks. They're chained. They're in the inner prison. The doors are locked. There's no way out as far as the world's concerned. Man, you think they'd really be down. And they're in there singing and praising God, and they're still going at midnight. The prison shakes. The chains fall off. Great chance to escape. No, it's a great chance to go now and win that jailer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think if that was me, I'm getting out of there. But you see, when the apostle was able, he and Silas and that team was able to keep their division on Jesus Christ and keep pressing towards that mark, they saw a soul that needed to be saved. And, and they kept going that, and they kept going that, and they kept going that until they were there. Our responsibility is to rest assured in the promises of God, knowing that they are certain. Although 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But that also tells me something else. Never allow the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection for each of us personally. Again, I believe if I had been the only person to have ever sinned in all of history, he still would have died for my sin and rose from the dead. And the same for you. That's the love that he has for each one of us. So don't ever allow, that was a death, a cruel death at the cross that happened to many people in that day. They knew what, how cruel that thing was. But he died for us. They didn't take his life from him. He gave it up willingly. He says, I could call uh, 12 legions of angels right now to come down. But if I do that, then... How, how are you going to be saved? So he stayed there for us. Even when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't saying that he ceased being God. Didn't say God no longer cared for him. What it meant was that there would be no grace and mercy like there was in the garden when angels were sent to him. Like in the wilderness when the angels were set to minister to him. There's no ministering. There's no letting up. The full wrath of God for my sin, for your sin has been poured out upon him with no grace or mercy to help him. 
So don't ever allow that to become a cold fact. You know, you, you buy a new car. You like it, and it's, it's good and all that, and, and you go out and you get it first thing in the morning, and you just turn that key. You want to back out, you want to drive down, and you want to show that thing off to your friends, you know. You don't even think about, is it going to start? I hope it starts. No, you don't get emotional about that at all. You just turn that thing. You only get emotional if it doesn't start. Okay, you expect it to start. And so you do that. Now, you do it because that's a new car and it's been paid for, so it's supposed to work. Well, listen, sometimes cars can fail, but the love of Jesus never fails. And so when he paid the penalty, it was paid in full, and it's a perfect salvation. So when the key is turned, the motor comes on. And what I'm saying is this. Don't let it become a cold fact to you as you could just turning the key would be a cold fact to you. Of just, well, turn the key, big deal. No emotion about that. Don't ever allow your salvation to become that cold to you that it doesn't stir your very interbeing. Jesus died for me. He was buried and he rose up from the dead. He has the keys of hell and the death. He did that because he loves me. Oh, may it never become a cold fact to us. And that's what he wanted to write to them about. But the Holy Spirit gave him something different to write because it's what was needed. So after the position and the panorama, let's look at the problem in verses 3b through through verse 6. He says in verse 3, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend. It was once delivered. What does that word earnestly mean to you? There are things that you do very earnestly. I know when our parents told us we had to have something cleaned up and done, some work done before they got home, or it was going to be trouble. Uh, We may put it off to the last minute, but I tell you what, that last minute was very earnest. Very earnest. Earnestly contend for the faith. And the faith is speaking of the word of God. That's what was once delivered unto the saints. The word of God. So we're to earnestly contend for the faith. Stand on it. This is the whole body of scripture and doctrine. Not only what we sometimes refer to as the gospel. Jesus died for us, was buried and rose from the dead. That is the gospel. That's good news. But you know what? The Bible also talks about the gospel of the kingdom. It has several things that refers to as the gospel. Gospel means new, good news. So don't limit the gospel to just one definition. <laughs> the good news is that Jesus is coming again, and I get to go be with him and live in that great city where a mansion is prepared. That's gospel. That's good news. That's great news. And so... We contend for the faith, the whole body of Scripture and doctrine. And so he says, earnestly contend. When he, meant, when he said earnestly contend, it was actually picturing there for us the Greek Olympic Games. Those athletes would give it 100% the whole way. The athletes would go through months of intense and grueling training. That was the earnestly. The content part was the idea of defending and depending on it. That is, you don't cower. You can defend the faith and you can depend upon the faith because it's absolute truth. So you don't cower. You don't allow the faith to be stopped or held back because the world is attacking. Yes, you stand on it, but you also withstand when the devil attacks. 
We see an example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this because I, I find this interesting. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I prayed God that it may not be laid to their charge. He's talking about fellow believers. When he took a stand in public, they wouldn't stand with They kind of backed off. Not laid to their charge. He's saying, I don't want them to lose their reward. I don't want this sin to stand before God and cause them to lose their reward. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by the preaching that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. On the one hand, it was a sin for those people not to stand with them. But on the other hand, God gave him a duty, and he did it. If he, was, he wasn't really standing alone. As far as people were concerned, brothers and sisters in Christ, he was standing alone. But the Lord stood with him, and that's our victory. That's our victory. When you do right, you do things according to the word of God, he's standing with you. Even if no one else does stand with you, he's standing with you. So you lean on that with everything you have. You lean on it. And so as a result, he was able to make the preaching known, and he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Uh, who's the lion that goeth about seeking whom he may devour? That's the devil. Satan walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Just think. He wanted to keep him from preaching and used the pressure of nobody standing with him to keep him from doing it. Didn't stop him. Didn't stop him. I've read commentaries where they say, well, this is looking, they were getting ready to throw them to the lions, and, and, and somehow God just said, no, I'm not going to allow them to be thrown to the lions at this time. And sure, the Lord could deliver them just like he delivered Daniel. But I think the greater picture is to see that it was delivered out of the mouth of the one that seeks to devour and stop the work. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But why would you not want that sin laid to their charge that wouldn't stand with you? Because they too, like verse 1, are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Christ Jesus, and called. Everybody fails along the line, but everybody can get back up again as long as you have breath within your life, within this body. Get back up again. You'll notice in verse 4, he said, certain men crept in unawares. You see, we're saved to serve, but there are ones that, God, uh, that the Satan will use to bring in to keep you from serving, to keep you from being holy, to keep you from being right, to keep you from sound doctrine. Certain men crept in unawares. Other words, they came in, they acted like they were one of you, but they weren't really. They weren't really. But they knew the language, they knew what to say, and they acted like they were one of you. Certain men crept in unawares. Sometimes men of that nature are unaware themselves that they are opposing God and His Word. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verses 13 through 15, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So Satan sees the very people that he uses. You know, some, I've seen people do this over the years. I mean, I've been in ministry, besides the 40-some years of ministry, I've, I've been around here almost uh, 30 years now. I'm almost 30 years old. Okay, so uh, what I'm trying, saying is this. I've seen people 
over the years in Christian circles think that it's, it's very spiritual and wise to be the devil's advocate and argue for his side. There is nothing in the Word of God that says that's good. Everything I find seems to say the opposite. Well, they've got to know what they believe, and if we don't throw something up there to them, is that how they tra- train people to know counterfeit money? No. They train them to know the real thing. I want to know the Lord so well that even if I don't have scripture to apply, I'll know something is wrong because I know God is holy and that doesn't fit his holiness. So again, we need to understand that there is a constant attack. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through, through 10. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil lives for this world with a purpose. And that's to destroy your testimony if you're saved. To keep you from serving. He says, whom resists steadfast in the faith, in doctrine. Isn't that how Jesus answered him? It is written, it is written, it is written. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Other people been there. It's not brand new with you. It just feels brand new. And he goes on to say there, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Isn't that great? He goes with you through it. But he allows allows the troubles and the trials to come. But he takes you through it. You don't walk alone through it. And as Paul said, the others didn't stand with me, but the Lord strengthened me. And see, that's the promise each of us have. We each have that if we are saved. You have that promise. He says, ungodly men. That word ungodly just simply means without God. How's that? I I sit often in in so-called Christian circles. Quote them in. One one of the major things I get in emails in response to our radio program and, and some of our preaching here in church. You need to read, and they'll say some author you need to read, and every time it's a Calvinist. I, I started answering a few of them, and I've said, okay, well, look, um, I'm saved, and I have the Holy Ghost, and I read God's book. That's the most perfect book in the world. And you know the an- number one answer I get from most of them? Well, you don't, you don't know enough, and, and the Holy Ghost can't really speak to you. You've got to trust these men who have the Holy Ghost. And so I like to always answer them and say, you know what? Catholicism told their people years ago not to read the Bible because they couldn't understand it. Only they could tell them. Now, Calvinists are doing the same thing. No, read our book. No, don't, don't, don't get in the Bible. Please don't do that. Read our books. As if these authors have more wisdom, knowledge, and understanding than the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. How ignorant can somebody be? And how ignorant it be on our part to accept such strong delusion. People get into philosophy, to psychology, into debate. And you see what it's all about is intellectual pride. And people involved in intellectual pride will never be able to accomplish what God would like to accomplish through them. They rest the scriptures to please the flesh and many times to defend evil. And that's not what we're about. One of the great battles of the last days before the rapture and the tribulation is the fight of, against that of trying to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Look, the world's already lascivious. Satan is trying to get into church and turn the grace of God in the church, the pure grace of God, into lasciviousness. When you hear somebody say, what? you know, it's really not wrong to you know, smoke a victory cigar. It's not really wrong to take that little celebratory drink. They didn't get that from the Bible. They got that from human, humanistic reasoning. 
not the word of God. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, many have lost their children through the contemporary, through Calvinism or Catholicism. I call them the three C's of disaster. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, uh, it was developed. When Webster put that out, he was developing it with to define words that were in the Bible. And if you get the 1828 edition, you'll see that many scriptures are even used in the definitions to illustrate the definitions. And, and it's a great uh, dictionary to have, I, I believe, especially if you're going to use it in reading the Bibles it, as it uh, defines words that you may not understand. And it takes the word lasciviousness. It says there, uh, when he, he does that, uh, I lost my place. Okay, here it is. Loose, lewd wanton, lustful desires, and the tendency to excite the lust to indulge the animal desires. Other words, if it appeals to my animal or my fleshly sensualities, then it's all right. That's where it comes from today with whether it's whoever it is, Rick Warner or anybody else that says, hey, we've got liberty to do those things today. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Rock and roll church. Why is that? Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, look, I think many people are deceived. They really don't see it as wrong. And that's because the devil has been able to get that foothold and they've gone along with it. They've gone along with it. And the main thing that we can do is pray for those people, but continue to preach the word as it is to men as they are. So turning the grace of God, which was born in absolute holiness. Now think about that. The Bible tells us, Psalms 145, 17, that God is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his work. And that being true of God, why would he design grace to allow for the unholy and the unrighteous? It doesn't make sense. Because it isn't sense. It's sin. And so, he did not design grace to overlook sin. Look, I'm saved by grace. But my sin was fully paid for with a blood a blood atonement. Jesus died for me. His human body was crucified for me and bled on the cross and died for me. But he rose up victorious over hell and the grave. Praise God for that. But understand, he paid the penalty. The grace wasn't say, oh, well, we're just going to overlook that. And grace doesn't say, okay, you're free to do these things now. You're not under the law. Well, boy, I'm glad I'm not under the law. I would like to use their same examples. Man, I'm not under the law. I've got about five people I want to go out and blow their brains out. It's all right because we're not under the law. I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight because I'm not under the law. I'm going to forsake the assembly of ourselves together because I'm not under the law. I'm not going to tithe because I'm not under the law. You big hypocrite, you're living in the flesh and you don't know it. And Satan has you deceived if that's the case in your life. You see, I use the extreme absurdity to illustrate that that's the position that you're taking by trying to justify certain things and not other things. The position of Christ of holiness is consistent at all times. All times. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he said that he's a propitiation. For all of our sins, for all time. So he paid it all. Jesus paid it all. We simply repent and believe the gospel. So turn the grace of God to lasciviousness. Reapplies grace from what tried to enter in in Paul's day. Listen as Paul describes. Because it, this, it's not new what's going on today. Oh, we've got liberty to do that. No, it's not new. Romans 3.8. I mean, this is almost 2,000 years ago. 
And not rather, as we be slanderously reported. He used the word slander because that was the Holy Spirit's word and that's what he meant. Slanderously reported. And as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. And the next phrase, whose damnation is just. People that say that's wrong, we don't take that stand. And people will say it, their damnation is just. Those are strong words, is it not? So the grace of God is holy. This grace they talk about is not God's grace. It's like 2 Corinthians eleven four. They're preaching another Jesus. They're preaching another gospel, but not the Jesus in the gospel of the word of God. Now, verse 5 gives the example of Egypt. They were delivered out of it. Egypt is a picture of the world. We're told to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He therefore that be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. As a Christian, you can be an enemy. You can be opposing God literally through your friendship. That is through compliance with the world system and the flesh. Any of us. That can happen. And that's just like the people. They were delivered out of Egypt. But there was the promised land and so many did not get to enter because they, they exalted the flesh. And see, you're saved from hell. You're saved from the penalty of your sin. But then you may only be saved so as by fire and be ashamed at his appearing. I have often wondered, now I'm not stating this a doctrine, so please, please don't say, Pastor said this is what he believes is an actual doctrine. I'm not sure that I do. But this morning we spoke of the many mansions in that great city. But you know, the Bible says a new heavens and a new earth. I wonder if those saved so as by fire are going to be on the new earth. I don't know that. I don't know that. I'm just not sure. But I'm just saying, just think. Ashamed at his appearing. Saved so as by fire. Verse 6 gives the example of the angels. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, were reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. And that's just like First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4, is mentioned the same thing. For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. You know, the word hell there is Tartarus. And hell, you had the place there that before the resurrection of Christ, you had paradise you had the great gulf then you had hades a place where the the rich man said i am tormented in this flame and then there was tartarus that was the worst part that's where the spirits were the fallen spirits the dead the angels that had sinned that were put there before the time that's why the ones in uh, gadarene they said lord don't send us there before the time they feared it they feared and trembled let us go into a herd of swine. We'd rather be in swine than to go to that place. Wow. What was that like? They knew it. They didn't want anything of it. Don't deny Jesus his righteous, holy place in your daily life and in your worship and in God's house. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. Therefore, we're to earnestly contend to stop it and not allow it to happen. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourself, not emulating, in other words, the former lust in your ignorance. But rather we are to be holy as he is holy. Uh, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful, deceitful lust, desires. And be renewed in the spirit of mind that you put on the new man, which is uh, after God is created in what? Righteousness and true holiness. 
That's the New Testament. What the Old Testament say in Psalms 145? The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. God didn't suspend it because Jesus died for us. He only strengthened it. He only strengthened it. So again, don't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. We've seen the position, the panorama. Uh, we've seen the problem, and then the perversion. You see that in verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, we know fornication, homosexuality, that was the big sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroyed it. God destroyed it. I have heard preachers and others take Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor needy. They said, Lord didn't destroy them for homosexuality and those fornicating sins that you call. No, it was because uh, he says there very clearly, fullness of bread. Boy, that was a real big sin, wasn't it? Had the fullness of bread. They have enough to eat. Well, what about idleness? Yeah. See, what he's saying is, is that all those things provided because the Lord ordained six days to work, those things provided to have that free time and their lust wandered. And it was not kept in check. They did not do the things that they could do. And they gave in to that. And God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what that sin is in his sight. That's the perversion. And then finally see the panorama of promise in verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. You see, we live in a wicked world. But our God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you can have victory, and he'll present you faultless before his throne. So walk with Jesus so that when he does present you, you don't have to be ashamed at his appearing. Let's bow our heads, please.